Hey guys, what's going on? Trey Llewellyn here, another episode of The Wonderful Commerce Kings, and I have Mr. James. James, and I don't want to butcher it, it's Shamco, right? Shramco? <laughs> yeah, you did butcher it. It's Shramco. Shramco. There we go. James Shramco. Okay. So you are a business coach, a leader, teaching people like Ezra Firestone, probably some other pretty high big big rigs in the in the industry. But your big your biggest thing is coaching business, correct? Yeah, that's my primary source of income at the moment is um, helping other businesses improve their businesses. I love it. So how did you get into that? Well, before I was online, I was a general manager of a Mercedes-Benz dealership. So I learned a lot about business, running a real business. And, uh, you know, anyone with an e-commerce store can probably relate to the same sort of nightmares of having physical inventory, mm. uh, requiring space, delivery logistics, finance. Uh, and then if your thing happens to need regular servicing, there's that element too. And then there's replacement parts. So yeah. it's like a huge store, an actual store with lots of staff in a physical location. So I learned so many lessons running that, that the online thing was, was kind of a bit easier for me in a way. It was like a much broader marketplace with um, people coming into it who had come from all different directions. I mean, you've got guys making uh, e-products on how to, build a potato gun from their dormitory room they're, they're coming into it from that avenue not running a real business so they've had to learn all these tough lessons from people like me or they just have to make the mistakes and put a lot of time into it to get there yeah that's cool all right so then how long you been doing that how long you been doing business coaching uh, I've been doing it for about a decade, just over. I started online in 2005, so that's 13 years. It took me two and a half years to replace my income, which was about $300,000. And then I quit my job. It's been a decade now of growing my own businesses and helping others. But in that last 10 years, I've built and sold an SEO business. We ran that for seven years, started it from scratch. Um, I had a nice payday when I sold that out. I also what'd you, sold. What'd you, what'd you sell that for? Uh, I'm not going to disclose the amount, but uh, oh come on! Sorry, private oh, arrangement. But was it at least five million? It wasn't at least five million. I wish it was. Um, okay. It was doing uh, over a million dollars a year, okay. and it had a, a good profit margin. So you can probably work out on your usual sort of profit multiples formula what it might have been worth. Um, sold my website development business and oh, I kept how many, how many people did you have doing the website development had 10 people in that team and uh, sold that to um, my web developer friend who had no people in his team <laughs> it, was, nice. it was kind of funny because you know I was coaching him and I realized I'm making more profit selling websites than the guy who knows how to build one and I don't know how to build a website and I said isn't this remarkable so imagine what you could do if you actually had my team of 10 developers and you start running the business instead of building the websites. And so he took that uh, business over, which was great. And I just kept a small team and we've been building our own little businesses on the side as we coach people in the meantime. And of course, I published a book, uh, which was kind of a summary of things that I'd learned that I wanted my kids to know. And, um, and I really like the book slash audible thing. I think that's uh, very leveraged and I'd like to do more of those. Mm, awesome. So, okay. So let's go back to, uh, you built and sold the business and that was an SEO website. Yeah. So I had this little SEO website and I was selling services okay. to my own clients and, and 
that you could do a lot of the e-commerce customers actually so how did you how did you sell it like how did you figure out how for like someone to buy it uh i found the person who would pay the most for it and that is the customer who was buying all the supply in the end there i had a student uh he was sitting in the audience when i spoke at dubai and he was just about to be deported because he didn't have a job and he came on board with me and I coached him to sell to local businesses. This was, this was quite some time ago now. This is 2009. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are talking about selling to local businesses in the last few years, but I've been doing that for about 13 years, 12, 12 years actually. Um, and he followed what I did and he was going so well that he started buying more and more of our supply. And in the end, he was responsible for about 60% of our supply. I had this team of 38 people. And I said to him as his coach, you either have to replace us and vertically integrate, or you could buy my business and 50% of what you're spending could fund the business because you know it's profit margin. And he said, yeah, that makes sense. So we came to an arrangement and, and uh, we were able to make that sale. And from my perspective, I guess after seven years, I'd done enough SEO and I, I felt that the business was at a big risk of having this one customer leave and then we'd have to scramble to get other customers. So it got to a point where I had this big fish customer and it just worked out really well for everybody. That's pretty cool. So basically, how long did it take you to build that business? Uh, it kind of kind of got built on the side because, you know, when, when I started with one or two customers uh, about 10 years ago doing this SEO service um, for someone else other than me, uh, that, was, that was just me. And then I got a couple of team members and then we were, we were going well with that. And then I contracted out to a company in India. They actually approached me when I was speaking in New Zealand and I took on their supply and we grew that. It just exploded but I wasn't happy with the quality and the consistency of the service. So I brought that in-house to my own team who are in the Philippines. And we, we went from one, one team member with an apprentice to 38 team members within six months. It just, just went off and uh, the quality was fantastic. The product was excellent. And to this day, it's still one of the great SEO suppliers uh, when most of them have just crumbled to the side, you know, it's, it was built strong and we had a secret that most people don't have in their business and big companies have this, um, especially the biggest companies, especially companies like Google, but most small operators don't have this and it's research and development. Mm. If you are not spending time and energy figuring out where things are about to be, then you could just steer straight off a cliff with no warning. And most people get caught out by this. R&D. R&D. R&D, baby. You got it going on. Okay, so then, so that's amazing because you quit your job. You're making, I think you said 2,500 bucks a month, right? <laughs> no, back then I was making 25 grand a month. Oh, 25 grand a month as, as a GM? Yeah, I was, I'm about $300,000 a year. And so I, I had to replace that income if I wanted to quit my job because I had, you know, mortgages and, cost of living in Sydney is not cheap. No. So that was, that was quite the task. It was quite the task and it was very, very frustrating, especially in the beginning. It took me, I think nine months to make any money online. And, uh, and it was like $49.25 when I did. And then uh, I took <laughs> that one product and I just kept selling it. And then I s stacked that to 
three or four sales and then five and then 10. And I just kept going. And then the, the final pull the grenade sort of maneuver was uh, to sign up two customers on a services arrangement where I would do their online marketing. And that was for about 5,500 each. So that, that got me up to my 300 K and then I quit. And after that, it was easy without having to spend 70 hours working on someone else's business. So I was able to get my business up and running to seven figures pretty quickly sure. and, um, and have actually, I've actually made six figures a month for the last 10 years straight. Never had a dip. That's amazing. So, uh, going back to the GM piece where your general manager making 300 grand, you got this other business that you're making 300 grand. So now realistically you're making 600 grand. So to and quit, it is a problem. Yeah. You go back down. Technically, that was the the big risk. Uh, I mean, luckily, I was making a surplus rather than just breaking even. Good. But I very quickly got back up. I, I got my first six figure month shortly after quitting. I think the second month after quitting, and I was doing some pretty hardcore CPA advertising back then. Wow, I was spending about three or four grand a day on ads, driving traffic through. Um, seven search and ad bright and, and Google. I was one of the first Facebook advertisers and uh, doing all sorts of paid traffic, which was kind of hair trigger stuff. You know, I had to check it every day at two o'clock and see if I made or lost money. It was high stakes. Uh, in fact, when I look back, I think that was pretty ballsy. Yeah, no, it is. It's amazing. Okay. So, so you make all this income, you got all this cash flowing coming in, you're making seven figures. What, what do you do with the cash? What's the, what's the secret, James' secret for the cash? You know, I've only more recently been super interested in that. Uh, I mean, if you have a family and you live in somewhere like Sydney, it's not cheap. So yeah. some of your cash is going to go on living expenses. Sure. I have four kids. Uh, the average home price in Sydney is over a million dollars now just for perspective. So I know some people watch this from there house in uh, wherever near some beautiful lake for 150,000 bucks. That's just the stuff of dreams over here. Uh, everything's expensive, even cars. But I like to uh, acquire property. I like okay. to take it out of my business. My business doesn't need cash, which is very um, fortunate. I don't need any, I don't have stock. So mm -hmm. unlike an e-commerce business where they're always scraping to make the next pallet, uh, I can take the money out of the business and I can put it into things like property and um, some share portfolios, that sort of stuff. But I'm pretty conservative. I, I don't have a huge uh, Bitcoin portfolio or anything crazy. I do have a, a stack of domains. I have a few premium domains and um, quite a lot of surfboards. <laughs> so are, do you currently have properties that you own? Or in yes. yes, I do. And so are you, do you have like management over the properties or do you manage the properties? No, I don't let them out even. I just keep them and uh, live in them. Most you, of them. Oh, you don't even rent out the properties? No. Oh, so you just have multiple properties building as an asset that you have like secondary properties? Yes. Interesting. Okay, that's cool. So then, so then why, do you, why do you do that? No, I suppose because I can, I think long-term you still own the property. I don't want other people living in it. And I don't, I don't think you get a huge yield doing the Airbnb or mm. leasing it out. I mean, it's a, it's compromise. Mm -hmm. um, I like living in, in uh, my house here. I like living in my house in the Philippines. Um, 
That's cool. And, uh, you know, there are other ones yeah. underway. So I, I think that's um, it's satisfying, actually, to feel like you've actually built something. And, you know, with enough kids, I'm sure over time, there'll be things that um, there'll be opportunities for me to either close down a place or to sell it and upgrade or whatever. But I, I, that's just one part of it. I do like to keep cash as well at the moment, especially. Why, why do you say that? Because I think there's a bit of instability happening. You've got a, a presidential election over there. We have um, a, a hot housing market in Australia. Mm. Um, there's a very good chance there'll be some um, stormy weather coming up. And, and I saw this 10 years ago, 11 years ago, last time around, um, there was a big cooling off. So I don't mind having a bit of cash sitting around and uh, I'm not really fussed. I don't care if it makes one or 2%. My energy is best spent building my business where I can make a, a good amount of profit. Yep. And also because I'm in a different country and uh, charging US dollars, I do get a little bit of uh, price transfer. So when the rates move around, I'm able to move money between the different currencies and to oh. pick up an advantage. So I guess if you like, I do a little bit of Forex. You do a little Forex. Yeah. Okay. You got your, you got your hand in a little couple of things. Let's see, million dollars just made me a hundred grand. And there goes another. It's pretty wild how it that It literally works. does, yeah. If you have a million dollars sitting in your bank account and the, the rates move five or 10%, that really is uh, 50 or $100,000. And, and, and then you can time your transfers. Yeah. That's pretty, do you know, what's the, I don't know, I don't know much about Forex. So like, is there a limit of how much you can transfer? No, the way that, it, that um, it, there's a few different ways you can do it. You can either use some trading platform and, and trade it. Uh, you can use options and futures and all that, but you could literally just have money sitting in a bank in one currency and then you can have it transferred to the other. You can call up a broker and you can agree on a rate and then they'll place the order and it switches into the other currency. Wow. And just like that. Maybe just could, like that. Literally. And they can do it on the phone and they, and they use voice recognition software. So no pin number or password. You could literally just call up like those old uh, movies in, in the eighties where they call up and they buy or sell. <laughs> you can you'd say, I want to sell us dollars and buy Australian dollars. And then you can negotiate a rate and then the order is placed and it's done. Wow. That's pretty cool. All right. That's awesome. I don't know much about that, but it sounds fun. And so are you keeping cash then to like buy properties or do the Forex training or just, just to hold cash just in case like everything destroys and you're like, well, at least we're good for you know two years. Yeah, actually I'd rather be good for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so a, a key to that is not generating a huge amount of debt. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't really do debt. Um, and so if you have a good surplus, you can last a long time. If you sure. do have debt, a good place to put your cash is to offset your debt, to pay off any kind of non-tax deductible debt and mm. definitely never ever buy stuff just because you get a tax deduction. Like a lot of people, especially in the, the U S culture, mm. they rent everything and the accountant says you got to spend more money to get a tax deduction. Well, you know, sometimes it's okay just to pay a little bit of tax and just actually have some cash there and no debt hanging over your head as well. That's an alternative way to do it. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's, it's when you find out as an entrepreneur, it's actually good to pay the government. Well, you know, we still need roads and hospitals and that, uh, at least in our country, all that stuff's really good. Uh, and so I know that my tax dollar is going somewhere. Yeah. I'm in the reference of, 
you know, most, most Americans think that it's, that, that it's a good thing when the government owes you money. That means you made no money. I want to pay the government crap tons of money because that means I yeah. made crap tons of money. Right. Yeah, that's right. If you're paying tax, it means you've made a profit somewhere, somewhere mm-hmm. along the way, hopefully. So now um, it does suck writing those big checks. I will say it but, sucks writing the checks, but it, it's better than waiting in a um, food handout line for your next meal, you know, from you the, uh, the homeless. So I'd, I'd rather be in a position of responsibility than in need. Yeah. What keeps you, what keeps you motivated? Like, Surfing, a hundred percent. It drives me. And you said you had a surfing business. Yeah, I've got a um, a business we've been building in the background. It's, it's our what we call an infinity project, and that is if you have a team and you can't keep them busy with your day to day stuff, you can build a, a fun project on the side, like a skunk works. Like if you had an e commerce store and you got this great team. You could build a second store just for fun to, to have, let the team work on it. And I let the team have free reign on this thing. And we've, we've built it up into quite a big content site now. And we get ad revenue from publishing. Mm. And I like uh, at Christmas time, I like to redistribute uh, that ad revenue back to the team and say, here you go. Here's something nice. And cool. over time, though, this asset will be able to be sold to someone in that, uh, in that market as we see the, the market expand dramatically in the next five to six years. Does the, um, does the team know that they're going to be getting the ad spend or is that always like a surprise? I think it's a surprise, even though um, I did it last year and this year. So I will be wary that I'm creating a precedent. Yeah. Uh, but I would reserve the right to change it. Uh, I mean, it's the amount that we're distributing is significantly increasing Sure. And now, especially as we figure out uh, which ad platforms work well for us and, you know, where the opportunities, but as soon as we start monetizing the back end with products and affiliate things, then I, I suspect it's not going to be viable to do that. Yeah. You're just like, here's a million dollars for you. Here's a million dollars for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It might be a million pesos, but. Uh, a million yeah, pesos. Hey, okay. million pesos, a million dollars. It's Forex. still 25 grand, you know, a million pesos. Yeah. Forex that thing. You know what? Rock and roll. <laughs> That'll keep anybody good around. All right. So you park your cash there. Um, dude, what's, what's like an amazing victory for you? Like looking back over the last 10, maybe 15 years, maybe it's just yesterday. I don't know. What's been a massive just victory for you? You know, for me, it's probably the, the small things. Um, yeah. Love like that. Yesterday, I had a, a coffee, a glass of water, I put on my board shorts and I just I walked down to the beach here and I was out there on Monday. The water was crystal clear. There was no wind. I could see every grain of sand on the bottom. The waves were perfect. And I was having a chat to a friend of mine and I was riding a surfboard that I just got last week and it's amazing. It's one of the best built boards I've ever had. It's beautiful. It's like wow. this orangey color like a vitamin C tablet. Mm-hmm. and uh, it's got these channels in it and I caught the light on the channels and that reflected back and it was like looking at an art poster. It's, it was just, I thought this is magic. And so for me, it's not having to put on my suit and tie and get in the car and drive off somewhere for the next 10 hours and dredge it out. I mean, I feel like I'm a lucky one who escaped. Mm. Uh, so for me, it's just a simple point of having 
having free reign of my schedule and working things the way that I want them to work. And uh, that's what living is about for me at this point in my life. I love that. I love that. That's amazing, dude. Let's see. What else we got? Um, well, I think you just pretty much described freedom. Ooh, here we go. This is one of my favorites. I love going through these. So, okay. So do you feel like you found your purpose? I'm not sure I know what I want to be when I grow up, Troy. Yeah. I, think, I think I'm getting closer. I think publishing the book helped me in that process to distill okay. a lot of um, some of my thoughts. See, my challenge is um, I, collect, I collect information from so many places and I soak it up like a sponge and then I implement it. I've got so much content it's hard for me to get it from my head into a book. Uh, God bless Kelly Exeter, the lady who helps me do that. But I have the opposite problem of most people. Some, some people, she's trying to drag the information out. Me, I've just got so much of it that I could drown her in. It. And so I've got the next 10 books, you know, penciled out on a piece of paper here. And I just have to work my way through getting them out. So I think that's my purpose will be to, to lay these, uh, this information down in a way that it can be leveraged by, you know, people in the future mm-hmm. and use, I want people to use it for good. And I want people to have the same options on a Monday morning that I have. Yeah. What's the first book about? The first book's called work less, make more. That's the old cover. Oh, there we go. And it's literally about what I'm describing that you don't have to do it the way that you've been, you know, the script you've been handed by society. Mm. is um, just not, it's not the only way. You don't have to go to school and then university and then get a job and pay off your mortgage and work uh, Monday to Friday, nine to five. It's just chuck it out the window and uh, rewrite it. And the book really helps people with finding the leverage points. Um, The core of it is making sure you get paid really well for every hour that you work full stop, whether that's your business or someone else. If you want to increase your effective hourly rate, then the book gives an action plan on the steps on how you would actually do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's like, and so that's published, right? That's already out. Published. uh, It's actually been out for about a year. And uh, interestingly, the sales are increasing. So I think it's having a bit of a snowball effect and it's on audible as well, which is, important because a lot of my audience listen to a podcast that I've been publishing for quite some time. So I want to finish up uh, by asking you one other question and then, uh, and then we'll give you like your links and stuff so people can find you and get the book as well. Uh, sure. But a big one is so 10, so 20 years ago. So how old would you have been like 15? <laughs> I wish I would have been uh, 27. 27. Okay. So let's, so just think for a minute, like what you're doing at, tw- you're at, the, at the age of 27. I know what I was doing. At the age of 27, you meet yourself now, right? You get to see yourself. Well, and you can think about this, but what, what would you tell yourself at 27 now that you're on a Monday surfing, right? And not working. Yeah, I, 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 well, so I wouldn't have believed myself then because I was very serious. At 27, I was pretty much running a sales team of 21 people in a Mercedes dealership. I, I, I was king of the world in my own domain. Huh. And they're very good at making you feel like that is the whole universe and there's nothing outside that. And um, also there, there wasn't really much happening in terms of the internet back then. So 
it's hard to see the possible opportunity. I would have told myself just go all in on the internet, the you know, get the good domains and um, build build out your information. I also would have I would have helped myself um, take better notes. I've got a lot of notes, a lot of information, but I would have built a system for it, a better system for it. Mm. And um, that would have helped me, I think, dredge through. I had to, the hardest part for me about writing the book was the research phase of pulling all my notes from all the places there they were at. Yes. And I only discovered a better system for that 10 years ago, which I call the life sheet, which is putting everything in one spreadsheet. Uh, but that would have helped me. I have to like do forensic analysis on my old self to discover uh, stuff. And, and, you know, I was, I was packing five years into one back then. I've read like 3000 books and I was um, a voracious learner and implementer. So I was just moving at a lightning pace. I really was at the top of my game in the environment that I was in. So very driven and very serious. And, uh, and I had to be because I had the weight of the world on my shoulders uh, mm-hmm. At that stage, I'd already had two kids and a third one coming. At 27? Yeah. I, I had the first uh, – my oldest kid is 23 and uh, the next one's 21 and the next one's um, 18. So he wasn't around yet, but he was coming. And then the next one, again, he's now, now 16. So, so, so your oldest son is four years away from that day. Yep. That you met Which is why I wrote a book for my kids to say, listen, if there's anything, I mean, if I could have slipped myself the book, that would have been handy. <laughs> it's like, here's what you're going to learn over the next 20 years in a book. In a book. Uh, that would have been, that would be great. <laughs> I love that. All right. So how do these guys, how do these guys find you? And then we're going to go behind the scenes. Sure. Uh, superfastbusiness.com. That's going to get you in the right direction. Super fast, and you got content. You got all kinds of good stuff on there. Uh, as a podcast, you know, we've got over six hundred episodes now. Holy cow! That's a lot of episodes. Which is a lot. Which one's the best episode? What's the top three episodes they need to listen to? Probably the one I like uh, was with this guy called Nam Baldwin, and it was a mindset exercise. He coaches the world champion surfers. He gave this acronym called NEAT. Uh, which was when you're suffering a setback or something really difficult. N stands for normal. It's just normal. E is expect it. These things are going to happen. Um, A is accept it and just move past it. And then T is tidy up. Just do the mental reconciliation to, to make it justified or dealt with and then move forward. You know, it's like if you have an e-commerce store and you just discover that your supplement palette has the wrong pills in it or that the, the ingredients aren't what you specified or that the, the scooter doesn't comply to the law anymore or whatever. That these things are going to happen. And that, that was just such a powerful exercise. You know, that, that stands way above the others for me. But okay. I think that the episode that's going to resonate with people is going to be depending on what their biggest challenge is right now. So we actually created this. Um, list all page when people click on our podcast tab it actually lists every podcast that i've ever done on one page because i'm always using that i use the command f to find the episode that i'm trying to point someone to it's like this rolodex of back content the Mm -hmm. first one i ever did was with john carlton 
uh, the copywriter. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was, um, that was me with a little dictaphone in a hotel room, <laughs> uh, you know, laying down the tracks for my first podcast. Laying down uh, the tracks. Down 2009, old school. 600 people interview is, is impressive. Well, like, not all of them are interviews, but, but if you, you know, if you stacked my other podcasts together, I reckon you'd get close to a thousand, um, yeah. you know, not including the guest ones. And you would have thought by this stage, I'd be far better uh, and have got my script sorted out, but I'm pretty organic. Hey, those are some of the best podcasts are the organic ones. You yeah. have to agree. All right. I know you got time to, time to jet. So we got to go behind the scenes real quick. Cause I got some more good information to pull from you. Sure. All right. So tell these guys goodbye and we'll see everybody else behind the scenes. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>